Frank, this week, uh, I think it's going to be an interesting week for our listeners because I decided to bring up a topic that really is kind of a rant, but more of how I develop and structure my applications. And previous to just, you know, starting the hit record button, you and I already had a uh, fiery discussion, I would say. <laughs> yeah, it started out pretty good. I think it started out with, no, I don't want to do this topic. <laughs> And then it turned into us just yelling at each other. So I said, it's time to hit record and we should just do this. I think those are the best type of topics because it is not always a clean um, pull request down. Sometimes there is a merge conflict on this show and sometimes we are fiery and hot about it. And, and so I, I say like this came out of sometimes, Frank, I get really into things. So when mm -hmm. I'm working on my GitHub projects and sometimes I get a little bitter in a way, uh, it, it happens because I'm getting all these <laughs> these issues. I'm going to say, you know, don't post these things and don't do this, don't do that. But I started to kind of realize that over the years of the last four or five years that I've been doing demos, I've never structured a demo in a way that I've actually structured one of my own applications. So essentially mm -hmm. how I am presenting is a complete lie to everybody in the entire world. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, this, <laughs> this could be multiple, multiple things. Uh, I'm guessing you either over engineer your demos, which would be possible because you want to show good architecture. Then on a second hand, I could say that maybe you under engineer your demos because you're just trying to show off a point. Um, I guess I kind of do this too, but I do it in a different way. Um, I sometimes when I'm writing an app, I pretend that I'm presenting to people. And so I, I have this like internal monologue where I'm describing what I'm doing to someone. I, maybe I'm a psychopath or something, but I don't understand why, but it works for me. And I feel like if I can explain it to myself, I could explain it to others and the code will work out better. And for that, I tend to keep my app super simple. So which side of the coin did you fall on? Well, I think that I do something similar to what you do when you actually build it. When I kind of take a look at my applications or when I'm refactoring, I usually say, Oh, um, you know, could someone else read this and kind of follow along at home? Mm -hmm. Now, I'll, I'll say that when I'm demoing and I'm creating demos and I'm creating things like that, the problem is that I do keep it relatively simplistic because I don't like my demos to be you have to understand all major architecture and understand everything. I'm trying to get a point across of like, look how easy it is, right? So let's yeah. say I'm getting the weather. I'm creating a weather application. Welp, I have this button and this button. I do all MVVM, so I'm really big into MVVM no matter what I do. But I am just have like a method and this command, it will you know hit an HTTP request and then that will pull down some data and then that data will then be deserialize with json.net and then i'll just kind of do all of that in there right and that's not actually how i really build applications i told you earlier right before we got on is when i structure a real application that i'm shipping to the app store i want to be able to work on that application at any point whether i'm connected to the internet i'm disconnected to the internet um, whether I have everything or not prepared or even a database ready or something like that. So when I was building the Evolve app, right, I want to be able to work on it at any time. And I didn't even want to, didn't even know when or how, when the backend would be deployed. I needed to work on all of that without having an active backend. So when I structure my applications, I have, I'm very big interface-based developer, but regardless of how I do interfaces, I always have separate libraries or separate classes that are all mock or fake data. Do you do this at all? 
Ladies and gentlemen, we have finally gotten to the crux of our argument. <laughs> it all started here. Do you mock data? And my answer to James was no, no. In fact, I've worked really hard to get to the point where I never have to mock any data. Um, I see I see your problem. Uh, this, I want to be able to work on the app from any location, and you bring up the airplane, and the thing there is you usually don't have a network on an airplane, but, you know, that's not even so much true anymore. Mm-hmm. But I, I take that challenge in a different direction. For me, it's not uh, do I mock it and use a lot of fake data. It's I build my app to be robust in the face of dropping out networks and missing this and missing that. And I take my airplane ride as, ooh, look, an opportunity to make my app even more robust against a crazy environment. Yeah, so. I guess that, the, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you should do, I think that I, you should definitely do what you're doing. And, and I do, I do do that to some extent, right? I mean, like if, in the Evolve app, right? As soon as I had the data, you could then use the application completely offline and you could put it in airplane mode to be great. I think for me was that we were developing the back end completely separate and Pierce was developing mm-hmm. it. And uh, I didn't have that back end for we, we d- together developed the data model. Okay. But we didn't deploy that back end and for like a month after I started working on the application, which means that I didn't even have any back end to work. But I wanted to fully build all my screens, get interactive yep. and, and lay down my data. So to me, I essentially had a mock data store and that mock data store was a in-memory representation of uh, what the server would return. So I could get all my sessions, I could favorite them, and like it would store all of it completely in the application, and I didn't even have a backend to work with. So it means when Pierce deployed it, everything basically just worked because I, was, I just implemented all the interfaces again. Does that, does, am I, does that justify how I wanted to develop it or no? This is an excellent retort, and we're a small resolution here in our merge, yes, because this is a completely valid scenario. Um, I was leaving off the two big components being written by two different teams, and in your case, two different people, two different teams, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you have a communication channel. How do teams communicate with each, each other with software? We create interfaces, and we just agree upon an interface, and then it's up to the other sides to write their little black boxes. So this is 100% good design when faced with teams. Ah, I win. Wait, you don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. You don't quite, though. <laughs> so on the second hand, um, there's another issue here. Ah, boy, I'm, I'm, struggling. I'm struggling to articulate it. So let's move on, and hopefully it'll come back to me. Okay. Well, it looks like I won then in that instance. Well, I mean, oh, well, that does sound like a defeat. I feel <laughs> I mean, that's straight up defeat. I went. Well, I'll continue on in, in my rationale here to why this actually came up recently. And I haven't been developing apps in, in quite a long time. Um, I, I updated Meetup Manager a little bit ago. Obviously, the Evolve app was over a year ago now uh, since I developed it. Uh, and what's cool about Meetup Manager is that I needed to go through this scenario and I kind of realized that I, oh, I had this really good architecture in place. But then we released the live player application and I had a lot of developers saying like this thing didn't work or that thing didn't work or, you know, I was trying to, I guess it's different if I'm debugging my application, like, oh, I'm online, I have internet, I'm hitting the debug button and I want to debug and I want to hit the real data. That seems fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. And I do that in all my applications all the time. But when I'm doing the design view, this brings me back to the glory days of using Blend in Visual Studio mm. for like my Windows Phone applications. And Laurent would call it the blendability 
which is mm-hmm. this design time data. And in fact, if you used MVVM Lite, he has a Boolean that says is in design mode, which means that I'm not in debug mode, I'm not in anything. So you could return design view models and design data sources, and you could load this puppy up in Blend, and you could just, you know, it, it would just be like, it's an image, so it's an image of a chair, right? And this was the concept of, of Blend. Or this is a name, and it's just a bunch of fake people's names and lorem ipsum, you know what I mean? So you could generate all of your user interface and rapidly design your user interface without having having to stop and make a network request or even load anything from disk because you may not even be on the device. You may be on a simulator or something like that. And I think that is the real advantage of how I develop and architect these applications. Oh boy, where do you even begin with this one? <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember the early days of the XAML designers, the the blends, if you will, the early blends. And that was definitely a strong argument they made here was um, look at data binding. And we're all like, cool, cool, data binding, awesome. But what are we binding to? And they're all like, you're binding to a running app. And so nothing dis- displays on your design surface. Well, that advanced to write these giant XML files and make sure that everything you ever want to display in your app can be serialized to XML files. So the challenge then became write your XAML file that describes your user interface and for that file, uh, write out a giant XML file saying all the data that you want to show there. Mm-hmm. That sounds reasonable, but I never ever did it. It was just, it was... Um, <sighs> An added step that I never, ever wanted to take, especially when I'm rapidly iterating on a design, I'm moving things around in the view model, I'm changing the data binding constantly, keeping that XML file up to date is just tedious and error prone. Now, I get it if you're on a team and you get paid by the hour and all that stuff, it's probably fine, but like, I'm trying to get stuff done and it just becomes an impediment to progress basically i want a designer to feel like a designer not like an xml editor so well, what's the best way then the the when you're using a designer though do you just expect it to run all of your logic and everything like that in real time and then what do you expect to happen when you make a modification to the code like what is your best practice because to me, the problem that some developers will run into is that every single time you change the file, the page will get reloaded, which means that it's going to re-execute all your yeah. code, right? And I think that's yeah. what we want to avoid. And there's probably a way that you're doing it that I just don't know about. <laughs> no, actually, I don't have any tricks up my sleeve here. Uh, what you're talking about is what I want, though. It's called edit and continue, proper mm-hmm. edit and continue, where the, the program keeps ex- executing as well as it can, but you're changing data structures, you're changing code paths, all that on the fly. The reason we don't do that is it just turns out to be incredibly unstable. If you have a function that calls another function and then that function changes out from underneath it, but the other one's still working and it expects certain things about the other function, most likely you're going to get a crash. But Mm. that said, it it is kind of worth it, right? Just for that, um, yes, it doesn't go through its initialization code all the time. But then it raises the question, what if you change the initialization code? You do not want it to re-execute. So That's true. it's just yeah. a really hard problem. But to go back to what you said, yes, that is what I want. I do want to actually execute logic there. Um, I don't like the abstraction. Now, all that said, I, you're going to win every one of these arguments. We haven't even gotten to the testability argument yet. But <laughs> when we're talking about sitting down and writing an app, yeah, I want to work with real data. Yeah, I guess, you know, 
to me, I guess what helped me with the Evolve app was that I was just doing just the user interface, right? I wasn't actually doing logic or logic. For you, for instance, you're building continuous. What would even be your design time data? I mean, it'd be like a file. So you might as well just load the freaking file of code up, you know, I mean, and your right. mock data is this code file. And then it's a little bit easier to work because you're, you seem to be a little bit more document heavy, right? So you're like, oh, well, this is the iCircuit file and this is the mock data that would be loaded into the UI. Um, yeah. But that's how I kind of look at it. And I think that, I think that what I, the, the simplistic way that I did it was just, if I didn't do this mock thing, then I'm going to have a bunch of static things around. So like, here's the last mm-hmm. cache data that was coming from, but yeah. I think you do still run into the issue of, yeah, what happens when you change the signature of the code? Yeah. So uh, okay, trying to get back to the part that I couldn't articulate earlier. Um, the thing that I don't like about you said when you were implementing the interface for this app that you built basically a little storage engine, a local storage engine, which mm-hmm. is a little local caching engine, which FYI is actually very useful in a case where you're not connected to a service. True. So the sad thing about that interface is that that could have become a part of the app. Like part of the service description could have been there's a caching layer in between here. And then you could have talked only to the caching layer. So at that point, yes, we still agreed upon an interface, but now you're not just mocking code and throwing that code out in production, but you're actually adding a very nice feature to the app by making it more robust. Yeah, that makes sense. I think how I've always... How I've tried to structure my applications where I have my models and view models, but I have these services and these services can talk to a cache. They can talk to a database or in some instances, they are the mock database. But I guess it would make sense that even in some instance, I could have a um, maybe a a flip of a, a define or something that says, hey, you know, I am in design time data. So still use this middle caching layer, but just always return the cache, which is this fake data, maybe. Yeah. And uh, I mean, mocks have their place. I I think I want to spend the next bit of this uh, discussing actually why my way is bad, because I will give it up (laughs) to mocks are great for testing, period, Mm -hmm. end stop, full. All my tests, you kind of said it earlier. um, I mean, I'll I'll write unit tests for like really hard functions and really tricky interactions and that kind of thing. But in, in a code base, you'd be surprised there isn't that much complicated logic going on, especially if you're using a functional language. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, but um, to, to get to the nasty bugs, you do sometimes have to write directed attacks against your code. And that could be composing a data file that you input into your test that uh, you know, directly attacks a code path or, you know, trips a code path that you know is kind of bad. Or that means creating a mock, uh, a mock object that you can control and, and manipulate in such a way as to expose bugs and things like that. They're both doable, right? Like I can compose a data file and load that in. And that way my app is always just working with real data, always going through the same code path for loading data. Or I could create the mock. Mm. Uh, both are possible, but it, it looks like definitely the community is settled on the side of mocks. Yeah. I mean, when I worked at Canon, everything was super interface based first. That's which is where I I, I kind of hate to say, but I still am going to say it. it's like, honestly, when I graduated college, so I did a lot of game design early on, which was 
we didn't have design time data. You just you built and compiled and you ran the game and like that's yeah, that's the game. Exactly. <laughs> uh, that's the game and that's and that's kind of how a lot of apps are, are built. You're just sort of here it is and it's it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, what better way to test online offline functionality than literally exactly. running the logic that is going to do it? But do I guess I what I'm point? talking about is is the, what I'm talking. Yeah, I guess one point for Frank. But I guess what I am literally talking about is just the design time, which is for me the live player is more of a designer, a live okay. designer. In a way, there's two modes, and one of the modes, the live run current view, to me is a super awesome running the app in real time designer in a way, mm-hmm. but still executing my logic in the code behind because it could do these things and do different manipulations and do data bindings and all that jazz. But I will say when I worked at Canon, since everything was interface-based uh, first and we were interacting super heavily with SQL servers, that's where I learned all my practices of interfaces and services and then mockability. And we use like mock or whatever, one of the, one of the frameworks to mock everything out. So by me, by saying like, oh, I'm going to do everything interface based first, and then I'm going to have mock services. I'm going to have this service. I kind of like maybe just inherited these practices that I got mm-hmm. from from your from back in the day, you know, yeah. of, of when I first graduated. And I think sometimes for me how however i was first taught just kind of gets instilled in my brain like this is the best way like when i started doing mvvm i mean early on like real early on in my career i was like this is the only way that i could ever develop applications which is mvvm and i mean to me it is the only way to do it but it's definitely not right i mean there's so many other ways to do it so i maybe that's my problem is that i've just been instilled and i can't break out of this pattern i don't know well I I think there's multiple things going on there. Let's just start with interface first. I think it um, multiple things. Who brains racing ahead? <laughs> Classic Frank move. <laughs> I think there's a lot to be gained from interface first. In fact, even in functional programming, um, we'll often do kind of an interface first because the whole idea behind programming is to build these little black boxes where you don't need to understand the internal workings of things. And so when you're communicating objects back and forth and all that, why not talk purely through the interface? Like, Mm -hmm. you're just kind of setting a high bar standard for yourself of, I'm going to do my very best never to leak any kind of implementation detail or any of that, which is complete BS. We do that all the time. Leaky abstractions left and right. But at least we're trying, right? We're we're establishing some kind of goal here of I'm going to have clean interfaces, all public, no internals. You internal people drive me nuts. Um, (laughs) Yeah, never, never. It's it's either public or private, and that's it. Yeah, one or the other. One or the other. Protect it? I don't even know. Just public or private. Okay, but then, but then, um, the second part, I I keep going for second parts here, um, is I do worry about the, well, I have an interface, so let's naturally write 10 implementations of it. Like, no, you know, it's totally cool to have one implementation of an interface. Like, it's almost beside the point. Like, our discussion is, should you mock your data or should you use real data? That to me is more like, um, uh, a, a side topic from whether I do things with interfaces. It's just when I start with interfaces, all of a sudden it becomes very easy to mock things, and yeah. that's all it is. That's true. All right. Well, Frank, let's let let's give you a minute or two to gather your thoughts and attack <laughs> me harshly, because I want to take a few minutes here just to thank our amazing sponsor this week of Merge Conflict. You know them. You've probably been to one of their conferences. It's Visual Studio Live. And if you've been to one of them, you've probably seen me because I'm all over VS Live all the time. 
Visual Studio Live is the development world's trusted educational provider provider of developer-focused content. They've been doing conferences since 1993, forever. It's awesome. They focus on .NET and Visual Studio and all sorts of things .NET. So we're talking ALM DevOps, Visual Studio 2017, .NET Core, ASP.NET, Azure, Xamarin stuff, you name it. They basically cover it in the world of .NET and Microsoft. They have amazing conferences all throughout the year all over the U.S., There's still time to register for the Washington, D.C. conference, which is June 12th to 15th. They'll be in Redmond, essentially really close to me and Frank, probably be able to hang out with me and Frank in August. In Chicago, uh, they'll be be there in September, Anaheim in October, and Orlando in November. They have all sorts of amazing speakers, uh, such as Laurent Bonillon, Rachel Appel, Scott Hanselman, Billy Hollis, Deborah Carada, Nick Landry, and so many more, including myself. I'm not going to toot my horn too much, but... uh, I'll be there. We have quite a few of these shows. And for a very, very special uh, discount for all Merge Conflict listeners, you can save anywhere between $400 and $500 off upcoming conferences. All you have to do is enter enter coupon code MERGECONFLICT at checkout uh, and to save up to $500 on your registration. And, you know, register your whole team. If you're at one of the conferences uh, and you see uh, the organizers, let them know that Frank and James sent you because you're a Merge Conflict listener and we would love it. Uh, So thanks to Visual Studio Live for sponsoring Merge Conflict. Yeah, thank you. And you, you nailed it right there. I love it when people come to town to visit. I'm kind of a hermit, but it gives me an excuse to go out and have a beer. It's always fun. Exactly. I mean, that's how we first met was because of yeah. a Xamarin meetup. And now we... It's the only thing that gets me out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> Is me? Yeah. Or alcohol. One of those two. James or alcohol. That's what gets Frank out of the house. Um, all right. So, so, okay. So, I think... In this structure, I think that everyone's going to have different ways of developing applications and architecting their applications. I mean, I'm a big MVVM person. Other people are not. That's okay. Um, But to me, I guess, what is Frank's best practice? I want to know, like, what is your best practice since you developed the live player, a a bulk of it, the live player application? What is the best way to architect your app when you're doing this live interactive? And this not only just applies to let's say this, this applies to web development or all sorts of different developments. I think they all run into a similar scenario. Yeah. Uh, you know, I worry so much about giving advice on these kinds of things because everyone has to understand this is what works for me. You know, mm-hmm. we're all different. We all have different backgrounds and all that. But just want to put that caveat out there. This works for me. <laughs> I'm not trying to give general advice here. But I tend to start with how I wrote apps back in the Visual Basic days. And I just start putting all my data and my logic right into the GUI. You know, mm-hmm. I go straight for prototype. I want to see something functioning and I want to prove out an idea. I want to prove out a user interaction. You know, sometimes I, I read this uh, article about the design of uh, Super Mario Brothers. I, was it the first one or the second one? I can't remember. Uh, and they started with just poly uh, rectangles on the screen and learning how the jump button would feel. Like the first how one. much? Yeah, the first one. Just how do you want to see Mario jump? So mm-hmm. just move that, move it left, move it right. A lot of times that's all I want to do in an app is I just want to get the idea proven out. So I start with the most terrible, terrible of all architectures and all that, the visual basic approach. That's the way to start. <laughs> then once you've actually accomplished something here, then um, 
then I start to break the app up. Like I'll decide I need a few unit tests for if I'm actually doing some kind of logic. So I start to break that out into a library or something just to make it testable. And then I start pulling other things out basically just to make them testable and manageable. Um, if I think that some of the code can be reused in other UI parts, I pull that out into view models and that kind of stuff. I, I tend to compose together view models instead of having like a strict, you have one view model which contains all your information for one view. I tend to create lots of little view models that just kind of mm. get added to each other and that kind of stuff. But that's the, the Android approach, which is, is the that. layouts and the fragments can kind of be nested inside of each other yeah Makes sense. and 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 that's coming from me starting with this bottom-up approach right is i'm, I'm starting with everything working <laughs> and, <laughs> and i'm adding architecture just for maintenance just for code clarity just for sanity that kind of stuff um now, all that said, I do have in my mind some very strict architectures that I, I, I adhere to hugely. Like every app I start, you no, know, pretty much, even if I decide it's just going to be an iOS app, I pretty much always start it as a cross-platform app. I yeah. start with a library that does not talk to the UI at all. So very quickly, even though I say I start in this mode, I very quickly move all that into a shared code project just sure. for the discipline of not binding yourself to the UI that strongly, which has other benefits. It allows you to change the UI more easily. One of the reasons you don't put all the logic in the UI is because it becomes harder to change, and you want the yeah. UI to be easy to change. That's yeah. the goal. So th that's it, just an iterative process like that. That's pretty good. I always kind of, you know, I, I always like to say there's so much romancing. It's like it's like a whole season of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette where you have to go so many episodes in just to <laughs> figure out who they're going to pick. And to me, that's just like to get my app running on the screen, right? So often I think I, I run into that scenario is I'm just like, oh, man, okay, I got to. I got to go create a view model. I got to go create right. a model. And then I got to right. create a database. And all <laughs> oh I want to do, all I wanted to do was put you've tapped this button five times, but I've now put 30 minutes, 45 minutes, five hours of work into architecture instead of just working on the application. So that's actually a pretty good thing to think about. I, I always forget that, hey, you know what you could do is you could put the logic in this button handler yeah. and then you could take it out later. <laughs> It turns out our programming languages are really powerful. You can put like nested, nested, nested. And then guess what? The refactoring tools are really powerful. Just highlight that junk and say, pull it out. It's, yeah. you know, well, it makes a mistake, what, 90% of the time. But, you know, it's easy enough. You can fix it. <laughs> oh, man, I've been I, I've been using Visual Studio 2017 on some of my projects I've been refactoring. Uh, I've been doing everything in .NET standard. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm taking the break and I'm using all these new C Sharp 7 features. And man, the refactoring in VS like 2017 Ooh. has been like so good. It's all like, like it's like looking at my code like if five nests is down. It's like, did you want to use an out variable? You know, and just new <laughs> the new out variables, and it's like <clears throat> all my code is like, yes, I did want to do that. Thank oh, you God. for not for explaining me how this stuff works. It's so much prettier too. So, anyways, no, I, seven, I agree. The, yeah, and and I think it's also um, I I my business relies on me having a good idea. Um, I can't write just another app that everyone else has written. I have to write somewhat unique apps, which 
means I have to try a lot of terrible app ideas. <laughs> like it, it's great to imagine what an app can be, but you really got to get it to the demo stage. Like you, you got to get it in your hands. And so for me, I prioritize that just having a working prototype. And I don't go like the Photoshop sketch route because for me, honestly, I can build an app faster than I can draw an app. And so <laughs> yeah. I just go straight there. I can take a I can take one of those designs that have been like laid out by a designer like by Antonio and then I can implement those pretty fast mm-hmm. but if you tell me to go to sketch and try to like go do with this whole thing it's going to take me forever. Yeah, and and there's no point. Like I can actually put a window on the screen and change its background color in one line of code and yeah. thanks to Xamarin Live I can do that really fast and see the feedback. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yeah. All right. This has been okay. uh interesting so far into how we develop and design applications because to me i almost want to just be more productive right and i think that's what i always thought productivity was was big architecture and the ability to swap out components and do all this stuff and i think i've quoted jimmy bogart before saying like do you need an interface and then a data repository and then a data manager and this data like how many times have you swapped out your sql your sql backend for something else like you never have and if you have then you can just do it a thousand times so sometimes i maybe go against quotes that i've I've said on here but uh that's interesting i'm I'm now reassessing my entire life it's a balancing (laughs) stop it um it's a balancing point um, because you can't be without architecture because then maintaining an app is the most terrible thing on the planet. I've done it before, people. Go check out my GitHub. There's a thing called Elcars Reader on there. I love the app to death, but oh my God, it's hard to maintain. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have some weird stuff going on in there. And so like, I, I, you just have to meet that balancing point. I try to err on the side of less architecture that's just because life's too short. I don't want to be fighting the language. I don't want to be fighting the system. I just want to be making apps. Um, but if I was working on a team, I would probably err on the other side, to be honest. But, you know, whatever you yeah, can get I away with. <laughs> I, I guess that's also a little bit different, too, is is often I am developing apps very differently when I'm building them just for myself. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then also when I know that I'm going to have to open source, like the Evolve app, if you actually look at that code base, it's just so many different libraries and architecture things. And I didn't go all crazy, right? I didn't use like all these other frameworks. I use like what's in the box. I'm a big fan of using what's in the box, by the way. I'm, I'm not a fan of using external libraries too much because I, I don't know what they're doing and, and unless I wrote them I think for me what I do is like I go into um, into NuGet and I type in my name and like that is how I start every new project I don't know if you do that at all but that's like to me that's the best way of starting every new project is file new and then just type in my name into NuGet and it just comes up with everything that I want well see there's um, a fundamental difference between us see I hate everything that I've ever created so there's <laughs> no way I would ever use one of my own libraries Oh, but, no, and I use all yours. So that's all. Then I, then I type in Proclarum and I was like, I'm going to install these other things. So probably a terrible idea. Uh, I, th- I think we're kind of bit, kind of dinosaurs there. In the open source world, it's all use everyone else's libraries. But in, in my defense, because I'm also one of these use it out of the box person, oh my God, have you seen what's in the box? There is so much stuff in the freaking box. And I feel like some people don't understand it. Like, yeah. Why are you pulling in HTTP libraries? There are literally three that ship with Xamarin. Like, what more do you need out of this world? But 
Yeah. Uh, have, have, you, have you have you become addicted to IOC and injecting interfaces and injecting all the you know? It, no. Yes, and no. I totally voting and, and weaving and weaving and, and just you know you can't even your code is just all generated automatically for you at some point. See, I do dig that. Like, my, my goal <laughs> definitely is less code, right? So, yeah, 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 if these things can do it. I, I haven't jumped on that boat just because, uh, whatever. Uh, a, keep it simple, stupid. If I don't need it, don't use it. And B, I've been burnt by so many things coming and going in the past that I just want stability. And I'd rather rely on things that are no, supported by a multi-billion dollar company, that kind of stuff. That's so, true. Yeah. Just, you know, I'm I'm slow to move. We'll talk yeah. again in a year. <laughs> well, and I think that's why I end up using all of my libraries. And I mean, I push my plugins and I push community libraries everywhere I go. And I think it's we have an amazing ecosystem of developers. But to me, I implemented these things and I know exactly how they work and I know exactly what they do do and what they don't do. And I know what works well and what doesn't mm-hmm. work well. So I think that's kind of when I start up, it's like, well, I can trust Frank SQLite net because I've been using it for the last six years of my life. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to continue to, um, now I'm, I'm under a big re-architecture. We'll have to talk about that, how I re-architected your, your library. Oh, yeah. But, um, we could probably do a whole episode on that. <laughs> we should on that standard V2. Um, but I think that's how I kind of start in, in all those magical things. They kind of sometimes get in the way of my design time data, because where is that data even coming from or how does it get inserted in into here? So mm-hmm. I always like to keep it really simple, which is someone asked me one time, well, how do you do your, let's say you are going to do James's design time data and you're going to do this mocked out thing. Well, how do you do it? And I go, well, I have a Boolean, a static Boolean that I define in my app that says is design time. And I just yeah. turn that on and off automatically. <laughs> and and then in other places where it returns one service, it just returns the other service. And I won't even use an IOC container dependency mm-hmm. service. I'll just new up something different because if I'm only going to have one data service, why do I even have an IOC container or dependency <laughs> service? I mean, it literally makes no sense at all. I don't get it. Because you like um, global variables. That's why. I do love uh, a good global variable. Mm, so good. I have uh, one little trick to add to that one. What I often do is if I'm writing a, a, a view or a page or something like that, I'll actually just derive a new one called test page that's just inherits from the one that I'm actually working on. And the test page, I'll just fill in with lots of mock data if I'm doing it that way. And then I just zoom in and look at the test page, knowing that all the changes I make in the real page are, are reflected there because inheritance. Go inheritance. Oh, that's pretty good. That's a good idea too. Oh, that's not yeah. a bad idea. Actually, I like I that. suggest that's how I suggest doing it in uh, my IDE for the iPad. It's just simpler. It's the simplest uh-huh. approach. Got it. All right, Frank. Anything else you want to cover on this uh, design design time data? Well, you <laughs> didn't think that we could talk about this? it for thirty five minutes, but we did. And I, I still have more to add to it. We didn't get to acceptance tests ver- of data versus <laughs> test versus mock, but it's good. No. Um, yeah, this is this is a fun one. I, I'm just gonna shut up. <laughs> well, also, Frank, I want to wish you a very happy WWDC day. If you're listening oh, to this yeah. today, it's the first day of WWDC. Now we record obviously a little bit before this, so we're living in the future of mm. of pretending that we know what's going to happen. Yeah, and uh, we didn't want to make any predictions because this episode <laughs> is going to come out. 10 hours before the keynote starts so it'd be kind of like a lame predictions hopefully new macbook adorables that's all i want 
But I'm um, going for hoverboards with screens on them. Be with awesome. iPads in the bottom. It's actually yeah. just it's a, it's a hoverboard <laughs> of iPad Pros, and that's how. Oh, I dream. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of like your fingers, they've optimized it for foot touch. Yeah. Well, you know, we can only hope. Either that, or we'll get a slightly different size screen on a slightly no, no. different looking phone. <laughs> Now, uh, you're not going to WWDC, are you? No, I'm not. Um, it, it's a lot of effort, and it's a lot of drain on energy. And guess what? They released the videos on the interwebs now, so it's pretty That's awesome. That's true. Well, yeah. so Frank and, Frank and I, um, literally, as you're probably listening to this, will have a recording party. We'll be, or not a recording party, but a, a watching party. We're going to be watching the keynote together. I'm just announcing it today. Wow. And then we're going to come out with a special episode. So if you just tuned in on Monday when this comes out and you're like, WWC, what are, what are James and Frank's thoughts? Like, we're going to have a whole episode, special edition episode uh, dedicated to WWDC because uh, we like to do that. I don't know. WWDC yeah. is super excited because who knows what they're going to do. It's going to be it's great. party time for iOS developers. I mean, golly. Um, when else do we get to celebrate? This is fun. Exactly. Well, all right. Um, that's about it. I think we'll wrap it up. I think that uh, we'll have like no links in the, in the show notes, which will be great. Oh, but but if uh, if you want to, always feel free to reach out to us and tell, you how, tell us how you're architecting your applications. What's worked well for you? What hasn't worked well for you? You can leave uh, comments in the show notes when you go to mergeconflict.fm. Also on that page, you can find us on social. You can also leave us an email, which you can just write as much as you humanly want, and we'll actually respond to that. We love that because we have an upcoming Lightning Talk episode, so give us some time topics for those upcoming episodes you can also find our shop on there you can find a whole bunch of goodies at mergeconflict.fm and once again thanks to visual studio live uh, for sponsoring this episode of merge conflict and until next time i'm james montemagno and i'm frank krueger thanks for listening peace